0: So one of the nice things about the way we think about sleep today, which might be different than the way we thought about it several decades ago, is that it's not a trait. Um, So I think it's important for people to understand that you can improve your exercise and you can improve your flexibility, your mindfulness, your nutrition. And sleep is something that can be improved too. So if you feel like your sleep isn't quite up up to the target that you would like, you can actually do things and understand things more fully And utilize that to make your sleep work better for you or your children.
1: Hey, everyone, I'm Jeff St. Pierre and welcome to episode 61 of my podcast, but it's also the first official episode of adult education, which I'll tell you more about in just a second. My guest this week is sleep expert Dr. W. Chris Winter. And before we jump into this conversation, first, thanks for checking out my podcast, Adult Education. If you've been following along, the show used to be called Be More Well, but I made the decision to switch things up. If you want to know more about that, you can listen to Episode 60, where I describe my thought process and the ultimate decision to change. On Adult Education, you can expect to hear conversations with experts in all kinds of different fields. I love to learn. I crave it. I need it. (laughs) I love knowledge and new information. So I'll be chatting with people who've got a lot of knowledge to share with all of us. Please subscribe to the show so you'll be notified of all future episodes. And if you've got a second, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate and review the show. That helps to let the podcast powers that be see what shows are making an impact and then helps them distribute those shows to more people. We're talking this week about sleep. I've spent the last 20 years of my life living with a lack of sleep. While I was breaking into the radio business, I was working overnight shifts at the radio station and waiting tables all day long trying to make ends meet. Then I finally got my dream job on a morning show. And as much as it has been a dream job in so many ways, it totally destroyed my sleep patterns because I've been getting up at 3 a.m. for the last 15 years. And now I've got an amazing baby girl who I love so much. I love her more than anything. But she likes to wake me up in the middle of the night. So I know all about lack of sleep but this episode, it's not about me. We're going to cover some topics that are more relevant for adults, but the big focus here is on kids. Dr. W. Chris Winter, or Chris as he prefers to be called, has just released a book called The Rested Child, Why Your Tired, Wired, or Irritable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder. Through his many years of experience, Chris started to realize that we seem to put a huge emphasis on getting babies to sleep through the night right after they're born, but then we essentially ignore sleep in kids until they become adults. And If you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? Kids are resilient. They've got a lot of energy. Younger people operating on a severe lack of sleep might not present the same symptoms that an adult would. And they probably wouldn't even understand it if they did. You know, we see young kids yawning and we think, oh, they're just bored. Or have you ever heard this one? I love this one. An adult telling a kid that's very overwhelmed that the extra work, quote, builds character. Does it? Have you ever seen it build character? Or maybe it just burns them out and creates more stress and anxiety. That's probably more likely, right? Right? If there's anything I've learned over the last couple of years, it's how important sleep is to so much in our lives. It's crucial to mental health, physical health, happiness, even weight management, just to name a few things. Chris and I will talk about some of the warning signs and ways that we can work with our kids to help them out. Also, you'll hear me reference at the beginning of the conversation that this is kind of a do-over interview. I initially spoke to Chris on what was kind of a crazy day for me. When I went back to listen to it, I realized there was just so much we didn't talk about, and I I really felt off my game. So I reached out to him, and he was nice enough to take more time out of his day uh, for me to have another conversation. And this is that chat that I'm so much happier with, so I'm glad we got to do it. Again, before we get into this, please subscribe to Adult Education so you'll be notified of future episodes. and rate and review the show if you feel so inclined. I'd really appreciate that. If you want to connect with me on social media, it's at Adult Education Podcast on Instagram and at Adult Ed Podcast on Twitter. That's the best place to find information about the show. Well, thank you for making some time for me. I uh, I do appreciate the mulligan, if you will, on this one. <laughs> oh, not a problem,
0: man. How you, uh, master of his craft. I was like, if that's your mulligan, man, you're, <laughs> setting, you're setting a high standard for yourself.
1: Well, you know, it was one of those days where it was like the perfect storm of things that just kept happening. You know, like I I had given up caffeine a couple days before. I hadn't slept well. You asked me about Depeche Mode right at the beginning of the conversation. All of these things just came together into a way where I was like, I I feel so flustered. I don't think I'm ready for this.
0: I'll I'll leave Martin Gore out of it this time.
1: (laughs) It's the first time I can say, and probably only time that anybody has ever mentioned that uh, or will mention that in an interview. But I do, looking back on it, I appreciate it. At the time, I was, I was just like, wait, are we going to have a conversation about <laughs> enjoy the silence and violator right now? That's right. Chris, you really have a, a great book here. I, I want to start off with something slightly off topic. I just, I'm curious about your mindset. What's it like to be a doctor these days?
0: I'm probably not the best person to answer that question just because, as a physician, sleep medicine actually translates itself. Into sort of a more virtual environment quite nicely. If you're an a, a exercise with a guy who's a shoulder surgeon, that's a tricky thing to do over a Zoom meeting. But 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 sleep lends itself nicely. Plus, a lot of times people will like to will come to their virtual appointment still in bed. So I get to actually see. Where, where they're sleeping. So, you know, I think medicine is kind of forging on. We need to do a little bit better about we have st- strange laws that if you live in Virginia, but you happen to be visiting your mother in another state, then I can't see you for your follow up. If you're hiding from COVID in your beach house in North Carolina, you have to physically be in a room in the Commonwealth of Virginia or Maryland or DC before my, so there's some little things like that that need to kind of get caught up a little bit, but from our perspective, it's been good. It's been allowed us to sort of take a look inside the homes of people. And that's a big part of kids sleep and adult sleep. But I think overall, it's been hard for doctors and dentists and and healthcare providers to practice their craft and there's been an overwhelming need so that limited resource overwhelming need has created a lot of inequ- inequalities
1: yeah for sure and you know it's funny when i asked you that question my mindset wasn't even on that part of it Um, But that's very interesting that you bring that up. First of all, please don't judge me on my nightmare of a basement um, that I'm in right now. Uh, (laughs) But I was kind of thinking too, it's like, you know, you, you train for, you know, sometimes decades to master your craft. But then Uncle Bill posts something on Facebook and now he's all of a sudden the expert mm. on what's going on in the medical world. And I just I wonder if that has relayed. Now you study sleep science, but you're still a doctor and you're st- still your your craft. And I just wonder sure. like, if that has had an impact on how you do things um, as a doctor. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. And I, I've done some work on Clubhouse for, you know, just you know, running some things. And it's amazing. My wife and I were just talking about it today about what constitutes expertise. Um, Tom Nichols wrote an interesting book called the death of expertise. And, you know, I don't meet a lot of people who read a book on shoulder reconstruction, and they're doing it on their friends in their garage in their spare time. But sleep can definitely lend itself to that situation. I think about my mentors and the people in the field of sleep medicine and sleep science that I look up to that I feel like I'll never approach their level. You know, there's sort of this hallowed figure and and I'm just kind of hacking away in Charlottesville, Virginia. But I've been in the field for almost three decades now in some form or fashion and think that I probably qualify as a sleep expert at this point. And it's amazing who writes books and, and who sort of presents themselves as that and I don't have a problem with it in this sense that everybody can do what they want to do in this country, but it is disconcerting sometimes when that individual is selling themselves as an expert who may have been doing something completely different three years ago without sleep on the radar. So I think that people just need to understand sleep expert can mean different things. And there are doctors out there who've dedicated their lives to the study of sleep in, in humans and, Uh, You just want to make sure you get a hold of one of those if you have a real problem, I think.
1: Well, I'm glad that I've got a hold of one right now for this conversation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Said nobody ever.
1: (laughs) Well, Chris, one thing that you say about sleep, which I don't think a lot of other people would necessarily associate, is you say sleeping is a skill. I think most people would look at sleep as this natural thing that we do at the end of the day or whenever you may do it in your schedule. But you say sleeping is a skill. Talk to me more about that.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of both. I mean, walking is a skill that we all do and think little of, yet I'm sure somebody out there has perfected the craft of speed walking, or I look at some of these parkour type people on YouTube that get from one or, you know, TikTok to get from one place to another very creatively. So I think sleep is something, you know, it's something obviously we all do. It's a primary drive. It's sort of basic to human existence. Um, But you can improve it. So one of the nice things about the way we think about sleep today, which might be different than the way we thought about it several decades ago, is that it's not a trait. Timmy, he's a great sleeper. Susie, my other child, is a terrible sleeper. You know, these are things that can be worked on, understood and improved. Um, So I think it's important for people to understand that you can improve your exercise and you can improve your flexibility, your mindfulness, your nutrition. And sleep is something that can be improved, too. So if you feel like your sleep isn't quite up to up to the target that you would like, these are things that you're not sort of beholden to. You can actually do things and understand things more fully And utilize that to make your sleep work better for you or your children.
1: But I myself as an adult just realized in the last couple of years how much sleep impacts so much of what you do. Like I always knew, you know, you heard the phrase, get your eight hours of sleep. But I never realized how vastly important sleep is for so many aspects of your life.
0: Yeah, I'm going to steal something from if you look him up on Twitter his name is the sleep vigilante. Dr. <laughs> Singh up in Indianapolis. I love him. He's a great guy. And he uses the analogy that I steal all the time that you know when you're young, it's like your body's this new car. You can drive it hard, you can drive down rough roads, you can kind of abuse it and the car runs just fine. But that car is going to wear out more quickly. So, young people and kids can kind of power through a lot of sleep disorders and not really be aware of them. When you get to be our age, you do suddenly become aware of them. And it's what I work with a lot of young people, I work with a lot of athletes that are young. And that's one of the things we try to impress upon them is that your sleep is bad and your habits are bad. And I know you don't feel it now. And I know you're the best athlete out on the court or out on the field, but that's going to run out a lot faster if you don't do something about your sleep than if you do. And so kids are just very good at hiding sleep problems. You know, they can still make straight A's and be the best player on the field hockey team, even though they have problems with their sleep that the parents are aware of. They're just kind of like, well, I think she's got a lot of problems with her sleep, but she makes such good grades and she's so good at field hockey. I guess we'll ignore it. You know, sleep, sleep, Issues are kind of the things you pay, pay for down the line in most cases.
1: Yeah, you say there's not really a lot of stuff out there in the world. I mean, we focus so much as new parents just trying to get our kid to sleep through the night. And then it's like we ignore it for 17 years until they become adults. And then we start looking at it again. And it's so it's so interesting that given how important sleep is to everybody, how that has been so easily ignored for so long.
0: Yeah. And it's it's easy to ignore. I mean, it's also easy to explain it away. We diagnosed narcolepsy in a major league baseball player one time. And I asked him, I said, would you mind if I called your mom just to get some more insight about you? And he said, no, absolutely. And so I called her up and she was lovely. And as we talked, she said, you know, it's funny when he was in high school, he would often in between innings, go into the dugout, and put his glove on the bench and just take a nap. And then his teammates would wake him up when it was time for him to bat or to go in the field. Or when he would come home from the game, he'd pull into the driveway, turn the car off, and just go put the seat back and go to sleep, and we would come out and get him before dinner time. And I said, what did you think about that at the time? She said, hearing me say it to you, it sounds crazy, but we just thought he was working a lot harder than other kids. So it's interesting how she sort of explained this very unusual thing away. But that also speaks to the idea that despite this lovely radio show you're doing, we don't talk about sleep a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, we just it's just something that we don't bring up. We complain about it. That's about what we do. We We complain complain. about it. That's 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 exactly right. But we don't really sit down and talk about it as it pertains to us. So it's kind of a hidden little issue for a lot of people, particularly parents, because once you get your kids sleeping through the night, You know, if you're 17-year-old still wetting to bed, or you've got a child who you cannot get them to get their computer out of their bedroom, those are things that, you know, a lot of times make parents feel badly about the way they've parented. It's hard to to deal with some of these types of things. And then a lot of things that are obstacles to kids getting sleep, like early school start times, I think parents kind of feel like, well, what am I going to do? I mean, the school starts at this time. So how can I really impact that? And so there's so many things that people also feel like are out of their control. We have a lot of parents who wake their kids up very early, drop them off with a neighbor, a friend, a family member, they go on to work, and then the kid will catch the school bus from grandma's house. But the kid's been up for an hour and a half already because the parents have to leave for work. So there's all kinds of obstacles today that really make it difficult for some kids to get adequate sleep. and then. The kids who are getting adequate sleep, who still show signs of it, you know, the parents would never think that there's a sleep problem because our kid literally sleeps the entire weekend away. So uh, we, we put a lot of emphasis in our culture about people who can't fall asleep. So if you have a child who falls asleep all over the place, easily take naps always falls asleep when you put him to bed at night, wants to sleep in until lunchtime on the weekends, we often view that as being a great sleeper and not necessarily an early sign of a bigger problem. Mm.
1: I think back to when I was growing up, we had one shower in the house. So if I wanted to take a shower before school, I had to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning because my dad also had to take a shower. My mom also had to take a shower. I had to catch the bus before school. And, you know, looking back on it, it just seems insane that I was getting up that early to go spend, you know, eight hours in a classroom learning. And I played soccer in high school as well. So it's classroom and then you have an hour or two of practice or a game after school. And, And my parents used to question why I would come home and take a nap after school sometimes. And like, it was something crazy that I was doing. And I'm like, I'm looking back. I'm like, I was freaking tired. That's why.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we all, I mean, you know, parents need to be aware of these types of situations. Educators need to be too. I mean, if for a kid like you to come to school by the final period of the day, if you're sitting there kind of showing signs that you might want to nod off, we want we, we to move away from sort of a blame model and more sort of a supportive kind of situation. I mean, my wife's a school teacher and she says, "I've had kids in my class who fall asleep almost every day." And so, you know, she always thought it was her job to sort of sit down with the child and say, "Is everything okay? Are you getting access to adequate sleep? Or maybe, you know, you're sleeping in bed with mom and dad because they've had to move out of their house and move in with the the grandparents because of financial." So there's always lots to understand in these kinds of situations and You kind of have to take the moments on a case-by-case basis to try to figure out how can we make this difficult situation at least a little bit better for the child.
1: Well, let's talk about school for a second since we're already on the subject anyway. uh, I I saw that you say that kids kind of hit their peak intellectually at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I've seen a lot of studies that talk about how if the school day started later, that would benefit our kids. And I have to wonder, I know, I want to say it's Colorado. I've seen some districts that have changed their model to start school a little bit later, but most places are still starting fairly early. I have to wonder, with all the research that does seem to be out there and this information, why haven't we adjusted to have kids go to school a little bit later? I'm I'm sure I can think of a lot of parents that wouldn't mind waking up a little bit later in the morning either to get their kids ready to go to school.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things that work against that. Um, Some of the bigger ones are busing. Sometimes for the older kids to come in later, it's forcing somebody to go to school earlier because they don't have enough buses to do their elementary, middle, and and high school. Um, After school sports, like you said, you played soccer. That can sometimes become problematic because then the sports start later and kids get home even later. Um, parents' jobs are another big one. So a lot of times when school districts look at doing this, there's some pushback from the parents saying, look, I've got to be at work early. I can't wait around until, for another hour until my kids gets on the bus. And then probably the biggest argument against it is always, well, look, if you just make the school start later, the kids will just stay up later and it will be, you know, we're going to negate things. But there's really two variables we're talking about here. One is total sleep time, which evidence is coming out of the pandemic. I'm actually writing an article right now for Psychology Today about this, that there's all this evidence coming out of this big experiment we've done in the pandemic that says no the kids actually utilize the time if they if you if they're given it mm-hmm. um so there's the issue of total amount of sleep time but then there's the issue that you bring up about the alignment of the time with when kids do their best during the day And like you said, most kids tend to be a bit more night oriented. Most grandparents tend to be a little bit more day oriented. So having a school start early and end by three, you're sort of missing the peak academic intellectual period of a lot of kids. So if you have a kid who's a real night owl, having them take their math class first period is probably not the smartest thing for you to do. I mean, if you can get the school district to start late where there's some sort of virtual math class they can take in the afternoon, That's a good option. But the other option might be, hey, you've scheduled my kid for a AM math class. Can we make that the last period of the day and have him start the day with gym class and study hall or something like that?
1: Yeah. It's so interesting. I'm trying to think back to if I even had an option of when my classes were like, I remember starting school and just saying, okay, well, I have to take geometry and you know, English and whatever, but I don't know if I ever had an option of I'll take this geometry class or that. so it, it is, it's tough. I understand and what you're saying. that's the way my school
0: was. Yeah. That's the way my school was too. Mrs. Ankrum taught geometry third period. That's it. <laughs> you want geometry, you know, but it is interesting because I always have this sort of mindset the options that a lot of children have not everybody um are are really quite vast in terms of online options community college options um just different things that parents can look into so there may not be that option but i think it's it behooves parents if they're feeling like look we're going to do what we can do to take Timmy, who's a real night owl. We're going to read Chris's book and do some of these techniques to try to draw his circadian rhythm a little bit earlier. But in the meantime, we'd also like to explore options for setting up some of his more difficult classes a little bit later. It never hurts to sit down with a school administrator or a guidance counselor and have that conversation. And there's some tools in the book for assessing your child. So when you sit down in that meeting um, you can say, well, Timmy's got a, you know, a children's chronotype score of 78. And I can assure you that the person you're speaking to is going to say, I have no idea what you just <laughs> said. And then you can say, well, a chronotype assessment's when you actually evaluate an individual to figure out if they're more of a knight. And this score of 86 makes him a very night oriented person. That kind of gives you this sense of, oh, these parents have done their homework and have sort of... Medical scientific data behind what they're saying, so I think that might uh, inspire the the school to take your 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 requests a little bit more seriously than just we want it last period because he's tired in the morning.
1: I've always been more of a morning person. Even as a kid, I used to wake up really early. I mean, it was the only time that I could ever watch MTV in my house because it was banned. So I had to watch it before my parents uh, woke up in the morning. Uh, but I, I've always been early, an early riser. It's funny, like I think back on college, Saturday and Sunday, I'd be up at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the morning. And I'd have to either navigate around my roommates who were sleeping. But also everything on campus was closed. Nothing was open until like 11 o'clock in the morning because they figure all of the college students are sleeping in. But here I am, the weirdo, trying to find something to do on a Saturday
0: morning. You know what's so funny about that, Jeff, is I remember – where would you go to school? Villanova. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a wonderful school. My son actually looked at Villanova. We visited up there. They have a wonderful swimming program. But, but you know, I remember – I went to the University of Virginia, and I remember – you know walking home one night from god knows where oh no one morning like at 6 a.m i'm like okay well time to go home now the sun's coming up so friday night's over and i remember like walking back to my dorm or my apartment and seeing these two guys get up in exercise gear and start their day with a big run heading off to the gym they had their gym clothes but a backpack and they were going to run they go lift weights i remember thinking why would you even come to college if you're going to just get up at 6 a.m. and exercise? And, you know, it's interesting looking back thinking, no, they had it all together. It's It was me that was completely distorted my thinking. So I don't think you necessarily have to be a morning person to be successful in this world. But I do think that sometimes, you know, college students, and my whole motivation as a college student was how many classes can I get pushed to afternoon? Can I create an entire schedule that does not begin until noon? And I think you're missing out a lot of things if you're you're facilitating these things rather than doing things like those two guys were doing or you were doing to kind of embrace the morning or at least pull it back a little bit.
1: I wish, this is off topic, and I don't think you and I are that much different in age, but I wish that the idea of working out and getting physically fit was as popular when I was in college as it is now. Because knowing that I was up early all the time, I would have taken advantage of the gym. So, I I think I went to my college gym twice while I was there. It's like people just didn't really talk about it. It wasn't like a thing, like the athletes went there. That's who went to the gym was the athletes on season, off season. That's who was working out. Their average college student wasn't going. And I I think about it now. Like, I wish that I had known what I know now about physical fitness because I would have totally (laughs) used those hours at the gym as opposed to just sitting around somewhere trying to occupy my time.
0: Well, that's why in the corner of the book, it says from cradle to college, you know, kids are just so much more interested in sleep because Tom Brady's interested in sleep. And, you know, uh, LeBron James says, I don't do anything when I don't get my nine hours of sleep. Like it's as much of my training table as my nutrition and the way I treat my body. So, you know, those individuals have really set a standard for sleep where kids really want to know more about it because they you know, if they're trying to be great athletically or great academically, you know, there is this sort of groundswell of information. And I think it goes along exactly with what you're describing that kids, even my, my son who's still is a high school senior is very into fitness and knows all about nutrition and the way to structure. And I was kind of like, when I went to the workout, I was like three sets of 10,
1: yeah. Like that was yeah. <laughs> you were, you
0: know, as much weight as you could get, like, you know, just put more on there. And like, you had to have people rescue you if you could not get the bar off your chest. He's like, that's not the way you build strength and endurance and muscle. Like, they just have so much information. And so this is a great time to really capitalize that because kids want to know about their nutrition. They want to know about their exercise. They want to know about sleep, not because some... Short sleep doctor in Virginia is talking about necessarily, but because people like Tom Brady, like Tom Brady retweeted something I tweeted one time. Ooh. My kids called me at two o'clock in the morning and said, Tom Brady just mentioned you in a tweet. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, that's awesome because if Tom Brady says, get some sleep and pay attention to your chronotype and watch out for light and temperature, then people will actually do it. So that makes my job a whole lot easier.
1: As a native New Englander, that just gave me goosebumps, just thinking that I'm talking to someone that has been retweeted by Tom Brady. <laughs> it's like the
0: 76 degrees of Kevin Bacon. I've been retweeted by Tom Brady. So that's a that's a that's a one jump, and you're a Tom Brady. I still got the screenshot of the tweet. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> I, I, I look at I look at it from time to time, Jeff. I've you know I've got the Under Armour Tom Brady shirt, like the sleep shirt that he put out. I've got that. Come on, we all do. absolutely,
0: absolutely.
1: We've talked a lot more about older kids, but younger kids too. I, I love at the beginning of the book you basically say your parents had everything wrong, <laughs> in your, your chapter two, which I think is fantastic. But younger kids, like a lot of what happens when they're older, starts when they're young and it it starts Absolutely. with things like schedules and, and working with them to understand the importance of sleep, right?
0: Absolutely. yeah. and you know, I'm not disparaging in any way books about how to get your kids to sleep through the night. there There's some wonderful ones out there that really kind of set the stage for, again, this is something that if you left your kid alone, yeah, he'd eventually sleep through the night. I mean, there's if people say, well, what book do you like, you know, for sleep training? And I always ask, this is the same one that I like for food training. You're like, oh, I didn't know there was food training books. Well, there's not, but your kids are <laughs> going to eat, they're going to sleep. But I do think that paying attention to it, understanding more about how it works, how it works for your individual child, that's important. When we talk about sleep, we often talk about averages. You're adult you need eight hours of sleep. Well, that's the average adult. Maybe you're not the average adult. So kids are not average kids. They're your kids. They're special kids. And so you want to make sure that you kind of set the tone for their sleep early and give them that. I have a whole section of my book that talks about sleep identity. Mm. You know, we we'll, I have parents all the time, lovely parents who come into our clinic and will say, you know, my, my Kathy, my first daughter, is a wonderful sleeper, but Timmy here is the worst sleeper in the world. Now, Timmy's, you know, six years old. He's got functional ears, and he's sitting right next to his mother who just said that. Now, I've never encountered any parent who says, you know, this is, you know, Sarah. She's so smart. Look at her build these Lego creations. That's Tom over there. He's dumb as dirt. <laughs> you know, he's just an intellectual Non-starter. Like nobody would ever say that. If I said to them, "I'm looking at Tom's Lego creations, uh, mom," and he doesn't look like he really understands what's going on, is he? Is he smart? You know, she would probably hit me for good reason. Like we would never talk about our kids that way. But talking about sleep and them hearing bad sleeper, not a great sleeper, Kathy's better than you, kind of thing, really can do a lot of damage. Like you said, as they become older sleepers, they go to bed with this kind of performance anxiety. Um, So it's fun to treat both kids and adults because I get to see both sides of that. I get to see the little kids and help them with their sleep. I also get to see the 37-year-old who who was ignored who comes to see me and says, you know, Chris, I've just been a bad sleeper since I was a kid. And it's always interesting to kind of unwrap that, uh, you know, unpack that sentence a little. What do you mean when you say you're a bad sleeper? Like, what does that entail? So because it's like you said, that's something that easily have been fixed, most likely, or addressed when they were younger.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I like how you point out, too, you know, every kid is different. And uh, some yes. things you mentioned in the book too, some kids can have, uh, it's like, a, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but it's genetically sort of determined in them. Like they can carry yes. things over from their parents. And unfortunately for us, I think my daughter is a very early to rise person. Uh, so there you go. three, four o'clock I in the ask, morning. I ask, par- I ask yeah.
0: parents all the time, what do you do for a living? And God helped a child who says, well, my mother's a trauma surgeon. My father hosts a radio show in Baltimore. Like Oh, that kid's going to be a morning person. You know what I mean? Like it's, or a school teacher, school teacher, radio personality that is going to, that's a morning kid, you know, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So, and again, nothing wrong with it, but if you're expecting to sleep in until noon on Saturday, that kid's waking up at five 31 pancakes.
1: That's literally my house. My wife is a middle school teacher and I do a morning radio show. So (laughs) that. You Psychic. just, you just, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, she'll all go the to
0: listeners. I did not know that's what Jeff's parents, <laughs> but it's funny, Jeff. I always ask that. And it's amazing how many times you can see that lineage of that night owl or that morning lark and it reflected in parents for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, she'll pass out. My, my daughter will pass out. She's almost nine months now. She'll pass out at six thirty, seven o'clock every night, which is great for us. Cause we're like, okay, well now we can go to bed by like eight o'clock and get some good sleep tonight. But then she's up at four o'clock in the morning every day. Like, I mean, it's, that is her, that is her thing. It drives my wife crazy. Cause she's like, I can just get one more hour, please. <laughs> but it is, I never, I never even would have thought about that either. That that is such a, a thing that kids can carry over what their parents are like. You know, I wouldn't have thought that's something that you, that you inherit.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. So not only, you know, timing of sleep, but you know, the duration that you need. Are you more of a short sleeper? Don't need quite as many hours, more of a long sleeper. The other interesting genetic thing that I talk about in the book, and I, I name it horsepower, because I've never heard it called something that's catchy, is how well do you function the next day if you get inadequate sleep? So let's say um something keeps you awake until three in the morning and then you go to bed and then you have to be up at six to catch a flight or go to work how is your day look the next day if you talk to a trauma surgeon they're like oh three hours I'm great on three hours you know that's like you know they just feel like there are military people are like that other people are like i would be dangerous behind the wheel of a car right. like I probably wouldn't drive if I only got three hours of sleep and so that horsepower gene allows people to function better on inadequate sleep and there's several of these genes I'm calling it a gene there's actually been several that have been found and they're kind of a blessing and a curse like if you've got it you may not be the smartest doctor but you will work everybody else under the table like oh my gosh Chris he just he just left the hospital three hours ago. Now he's back and he's taking people's spleens out. He's the best doctor we have. Well, he's not the best. He just can deal with that inadequate sleep better. And if you don't recognize that and reconcile it, these are people that are just animals and then they die when they're 52 years old. Yep. And nobody can figure it out. Oh my gosh, he was so amazing. He was just a hardcore guy, never slowed down, never stopped. And then he just died. We can't figure it out. Well. It's because he was chronically depriving himself of sleep all that time, even though his performance didn't really reflect that, um, obviously.
1: Uh, I want to go back to uh, to older kids here a little bit, because I feel like this may impact them a little bit differently. But uh, one thing that you talk about is how the greatest threat to sleep in kids is technology and school and kind of how they're merging together in so many ways right now. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, my, my wife, like your wife is a teacher. Um, both of my parents are teachers. Um, I love educators. In fact, I, I always had this sort of imaginary ripcord that if I ever felt like medicine was not for me, or it would just became something that wasn't great, I'd pull that ripcord and go teach high school biology and be extremely happy doing it. Um however i do think schools do represent a bit of a threat in terms of our kids sleep and if you ask a lot of parents and say what is the biggest obstacle in terms of your child getting the right amount of sleep if you talk to most older children um, they're going to tell you it's probably school Um, and i think a lot about that um Outside of that would probably be technology. So it would be shocking to me if a parent said anything besides those two answers, if you asked them the question, what do you think keeps your kid from getting enough sleep? Um, And and what I meant by that was, I think we are probably about the same age. When I was growing up, somebody had a Nintendo or an Atari or ColecoVision or whatever you had. Um, You know, if my father had thought I was using it too much, he could just unplug it and take it away. And that was it. I had no access to any more kind of, you know, screen time besides the TV room and our family room, which was not something. It was like I think it weighed three hundred and sixty eight pounds, so you're not taking it anywhere. It's like behemoth piece of furniture, like they used to be or whatever. I mean, did you have the um, old the,
1: TV that was broken with the new TV sitting on top of it? Because that's the real. We did real no, test. we,
0: we yes. did have that for a period of time. Absolutely, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, So, yeah, so this idea of sort of separation of church and state, separation of Mario and calculus, and that doesn't really exist anymore. You know, this idea that when I kind of walk up to my child who's writing his essay, is he really writing an essay? I mean, he is now, what was he doing five minutes ago? Mm -hmm. Um, And so with the pandemic, that's become even more amplified that, I mean, I've got a high school son and two college age kids who wake up, start their classes on their computers in their bedrooms. And then when the classes are over, they might come down and grab food out of the kitchen and, you know, take it back up into their bed, which is super healthy, you know, and then they can just entertain themselves by watching the next episode of breaking bad or white Lotus or whatever anybody's watching. And then they're never going anywhere. They're always on the same screen. They're always getting the same light amount, Um, And that's really problematic. I mean, it was so much easier to have a paper copy of, you know, catcher in the rye and be able to walk around with it and go outside and read. And, you know, so we have to be very careful as parents that we don't kind of fall into this trap of it's like the matrix, man. They like wake up and plug themselves into the matrix and are they ever unplugging? And, and that's where the school kind of situation, I think I wrote in the book, I think every child should be able to go to school, play a sport and do something else, you know, play the trumpet, dance, volunteer at a church or a, you know, soup kitchen, whatever you want to do, like, we, we should be able to do that. It's, I, I compare it in the book, like, when you get an entree, you get two sides, you get to pick what it is, fries, coleslaw, or special potato salad, whatever you like. Outside, you can do more than two things, but at that point, it's becoming more of a privilege rather than a right if you feel like, look, between school and these two things that my kids do, she dances and she likes to go play piano at the nursing home once a week, and you're not feeling your kids getting enough sleep, I think we have to kind of look at this and, and, and figure out why. You know, what's what, what's preventing that? And our kids will come home sometimes and have just tremendous amounts of homework. I mean, just to the point where I'm going to bed and my kids are still up. I'm like, you need to go to bed. Well, I haven't finished my homework yet. Because we didn't get back from the travel soccer game until late, and it's tough. It's it's a very different situation than when I was a kid, for sure.
1: Yeah, just to piggyback on that really quick, I was thinking about it. Like when when I went to school. Yeah, I mean, you wanted to have some good stuff on your application when you were applying to college, but kids now are building resumes. I mean, the resumes that these kids have to go to college are better than my resume after 20-plus years in the professional field. And and I feel like we put so much pressure on them to do more and more and more just to be successful at the next level. And I almost wonder if we're kind of the cause for so many of the problems. It's not that they can't do it. It's because we're forcing them into these situations.
0: No question. And I'm and I'm always really vigilant too. I mean, everybody has responsibility. I as a parent have it, the kids have it, the school has it. Yeah, I remember one time giving my daughter a hard time. I'm like, look, you got two papers due. You should have been working on those ahead of time. And she said, oh, we just found out about these today. We had two classes assigned a page and a half response to some reading. And I didn't believe, you know, I was like, oh, whatever, I'm sure. Like, And then one time we were in the car, I remember some of her friends saying, oh, I can't believe she did it again. And we both, she just assigns these page and a half things that are due the next day. And then the other teacher did the same. So back when I was growing up, if Miss Ankrum had a math test, Mr. Johnson was like, I heard Miss Ankrum's giving you a big calculus test. So I'm going to postpone our quiz one day, but you better be ready on Monday for it. Like there was this sort of, everybody was in it together.
1: Synchronicity, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, it, and that that doesn't really seem to be the situation. And, and, you know, a lot of times if you talk to an administrator, they'll say, oh, look, Chris, we we value sleep, too. So if you ever feel like your daughter or your son is doing too much work, just tell them to stop, go to bed and we'll excuse it, which is kind of like saying to Lucy and Ethel. And this is what I wrote in the book. At any point, if you feel like the chocolate's coming down the conveyor belt too quickly, well, just stop, take a break. That's fine, but somebody's got to turn the conveyor belt off. Otherwise, you get the situation where my kids are like, dad, don't, don't call the school because all they're going to do is say for me to stop working, but I'm going to have twice as much to do tomorrow night because the it's like working at the postal post office. You can take as many breaks as you want to, but that mail is still coming, coming all the time. It never stops. and and that's, 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 and boy, if your kids get sick oh. or something take, they have to go on a college visit or something happens where they get a little bit behind. That, that's, I have, I, when my kids 10 years after they leave, if you and I run into each other, I'm going to tell you, I'm still having anxiety about my kids getting a little behind. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. You know, I've got three repeat quizzes today and the quiz I should have been taking, I've got to take, you know, like, oh my God, I don't know how you do it. So, <laughs> And then I got a soccer game tonight or one of my kids swam. And that was a, I mean, some of these sports, you know, like back when I played, it was like an hour practice twice right. a week. And and we all were terrible. That's not the situation now. I mean, kids got private training on their tennis and their baseball and you know, travel games that are three and a half hours away in a big tournament in Myrtle Beach and up in Baltimore. And there's no such thing as that. I just want to play a little baseball. Like that right. that middle area of the spectrum does not exist. You're either not playing baseball or you're playing some serious baseball and getting some serious training like to the point where I think, God, if I'd had that, I think I might be on a baseball card or something. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm not going to follow up on that because I think that will lead us down a whole different rabbit hole right now. But uh, Chris, I I really appreciate your time. I've I've taken up enough of your Thursday evening right now. I I love talking to you. You've got so much great insight. I know you like to go by Chris, but I'm going to say your full name just at least once. Dr. W. Chris Winter, the author of The Rested Child, Why Your Tired, Wired, or Irritable Child May have a sleep disorder. Uh, where can people go if they want to find out more about you, find out more information and, and follow along?
0: Yeah, Jeff. Um, so you can get the book anywhere books are sold. Um, Amazon, um, my publisher is Penguin, um, both for this book and my previous book. My previous book was, uh, the sleep solution It's published by Berkeley, which is an imprint of Penguin. And then my current one is Avery. Um, so, uh, Anywhere books are sold. You can even get the audio books. So if you really, really dig the soothing timber of my voice, <laughs> I can read you the book if you'd like. So on your next car trip, you and your entire family, including your kids, can listen to me. tell. So you can play the good cop and, and play that in the car when you take a trip with your family. Like, see, we want you to have your electronics in your bedroom, guys, but... The doctor says no, so we gotta listen to the doctor. Like I have no problem being the bad cop. Um, my Twitter is at Sport Sleep Doc. S P O R T S L E E P D O C. Just because. I work with about 30 professional sports teams, including the Ravens. Hello, Harry Swain. I hope you all have a great season coming up. Um, Love the Ravens. And then I've got a website. It's wchriswinter.com. But really, Instagram and Twitter are the two places I try to put the most information out there. You can sign up on my website for a newsletter. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just send out a newsletter every now and then with just, you know, kind of interesting things about sleep and tips. So um, If that's something that you like to get, um, I'm pretty infrequent with my newsletter. So <laughs> if you sign up and a month goes by and you haven't heard from me, that's pretty much par for the course. So feel free to text me and say, we need a newsletter. <laughs> I'll put one together. There's always something cool about sleep out happening out there for sure.
1: Well, Chris, I really appreciate the time. Again, thank you so much for giving me a second chance at this conversation because I think uh, I feel a lot more confident about this one than the first time around.
0: (laughs) My pleasure, Jeff. If I can send you anything for your uh, special little girl, uh, you let me know.
1: Thank you to W. Chris Winter for his time. I promise, Chris, that's the last time I'll say your full name. The book, The Rested Child, is available now, and it is a great read. I always appreciate a very scientific and educational book that's also written with humor and real-life experiences to help make it more relatable and understandable to us non-academic types. And thank you to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to adult education. I've got some great conversations coming your way over the next few weeks. I know you're going to enjoy it, so please don't forget to subscribe.